Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin. Our essay this week is called Love and Listening. It's a guest essay by the very Reverend Dr. Jane Shaw, Dean of Grace Cathedral in San Francisco. It's based upon the lectionary readings for Sunday, October 23, 2011. Last week I went to a reading by the poet Mary Oliver. In the question and answer session afterwards, she talked about the ordinary despair so many people feel in the face of the enormity of the world's problems. What can one individual do? she asked. The Wall Street protesters, feeling that same sense of powerlessness, have taken to the streets to express their discontent and to try and claim their power in their voice. Similar protests have now spread all around the globe. Perhaps the Pharisee who approached Jesus in this week's Gospel in Matthew 22 had a similar feeling of being overwhelmed when they asked him, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? For there were 613 precepts in the Torah. How is a person to keep track of them all? let alone prioritize them. <clears throat> Jesus answers with two positive commandments from the Torah. Deuteronomy 6.5, you shall love the Lord your God. In Leviticus 19.18, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments, said Jesus, hang the whole law and the prophets. Mary Oliver may have answered her own question, as Jesus answered the Pharisees, by testifying to the power of love, reading, as she always does, her poem, Wild Geese, which begins with these words, You do not have to be good. You do not have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles through the desert, repenting. You only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. And similarly, the American playwright Eve Ensler, commenting on the Wall Street protesters after she had talked to many of them, wrote in the Huffington Post, So I came out to face this contradiction, the dehumanization of poverty and the exploitation of capitalism. A block away from the park where the Second General Assembly was being held, I heard the words, I love you. The words were as swift as the man who said them, for when I looked back he was already five paces away, but they were as firm as those paces, heavy with determination, purpose, depth. His words permeated the air in Washington Square, and the air on the march, and the air in Zuccotti Park. Love was everywhere. Well, but what does this love stuff mean? Isn't it, too, rather amorphous when we're trying to address the world's needs? Christians are indeed called to love and serve the world. The prayer at the end of the Eucharist service for Episcopalians says, And now, God, send us out to do the work you've given us to do, to love and serve you as faithful witnesses of Christ our Lord. We're sent out to put into practice what we have become in the Eucharist, Christ's body 
on earth. Ours are the only hands and feet that Christ has now, as the 16th century mystic and Carmelite reformer Teresa of Avila said. When we're sent out into the world, when we heed God's command to love our neighbor as ourselves, we need to ask what that relationship between the church and the world means. Christianity has always had a paradoxical attitude to the world, and the doctrine of the Incarnation bears it out. On the one hand, God so loved the world that God sent his only begotten Son, who healed the sick, fed the poor, raised the dead, and lived, preached, ate, and made friends in the world alongside ordinary human beings, especially those on the margins of society. On the other hand, those actions of Jesus of Nazareth meant that he eventually came into conflict with the world as he challenged human priorities and institutions. And so, as a consequence, many Christians have had a negative view of the world. Some, like the Amish, have chosen to stay away from it, building separate gathered utopian communities. They would agree with the author of the epistle to Diognetus in the middle of the second century that Christians, quote, live in their own countries, but only as resident aliens. Other Christians have assumed that the world is a very bad place because it is fallen, but they are committed to making it more godly, chiefly by converting as many people as possible to Christianity. For them, individual sinners must be saved in order to redeem the world. Still yet other Christians still assume that the world is a bad place, but believe that Christians can make it better. We can build the kingdom of heaven on earth. These Christians do not withdraw from the world, nor do they simply try to grow their own ranks. They get their hands dirty to change things. This perspective has provided the impetus for many wonderful projects, but, is, but it has at times been paternalistic assuming that still that Christianity has all the answers. But what if loving our neighbor means that we need to listen to the world and engage with it? What if we realize we do not need to bring Christ to the world because Christ is already in the world? This creates a different model of loving our neighbor, which is much more about Christians being vulnerable, listening, and participating. Eve Ensler's work with women who have been raped in the Congo provides a model for this sort of vulnerable, listening, participative action. Ensler's organization, V-Day, along with UNICEF and Ponzi Foundation, are building a community called the City of Joy for women who have survived violence in the Congo. The key thing is that the city is being developed by and run with the women of the Congo, developing their leadership capacity and providing them not only with the tools for healing, but also for economic empowerment so that they can change, engage in horticulture and other revenue-generating activities. I cite this example because it illustrates the engagement with and listening to mode. And Eve Ensler spoke movingly at my home church of Grace Cathedral in San Francisco a couple weeks ago, about what she has learned from the women of that community, especially in her own recovery and survival from a cancer that ripped through her body. 
Healing came not only for the women of the Congo, but also for Eve Ensler, when she became truly a part of their community, seeking a solution for the horrors of their lives, yes, but also being vulnerable with them herself. Here is a simple truth of the Christian faith. God made us, God loves us, and God accepts us as we are. We did not have to earn our creation, and we do not have to earn God's love. But God is delighted when we respond to that love. If we are to bring that love to others, then we must know something of what it means to be vulnerable with one another and vulnerable with God. Love and Listening, a guest essay by the very Reverend Dr. Jane Shaw, Dean of Grace Cathedral in San Francisco. For books this week, I review Mary Oliver, a book of poetry called Thirst, Boston Beacon Press, 2006, 71 pages. In 2007, the New York Times described Mary Oliver as far and away this country's best-selling poet. In addition to 20 volumes of poetry, Oliver has published eight volumes of prose and two audiobooks. Among her numerous awards, her collection American Primitive from 1984 won the Pulitzer Prize for Poetry, while her volume New and Selected Poems from 1992 won the National Book Award. Oliver is best known as a nature poet, and these 43 poems exemplify that well-earned reputation. She's known for her solitary walks near her home in Provincetown, Massachusetts, and how those walks provide a rich fund of material for her to observe, ponder, and rejoice in the physical creation. She writes, My work is loving the world. If we still are busy minds and pay attention, the physical creation provokes in us, as says Oliver, astonishment, joy, and gratitude. But it's not that she ignores the darkness. Other poems speak of unrequited love, brokenness, darkness, and what she calls the dull, brutish ways of mankind. The book is dedicated to Oliver's partner of 40 years, Molly Malone Cook, and was published about a year after Cook died in 2005. Several poems speak of her deep grief. She writes, I have not forgotten the way, but a little the way to the way. And then what in her poem, what I said at her service, when we pray to love God perfectly, Surely we do not mean only. What caught some Oliver fans by surprise in this volume, however, was that many of the poems are, as one reviewer put it, overtly Christian. There are poems about Gethsemane, the Eucharist, prayer, the donkey who bore Jesus into Jerusalem, and confessing that God was in Christ reconciling this beautiful but broken world to himself. After all, everything is his. You cannot cross one hummock or furrow, but it is his holy ground. One of my favorite poems in the book is called Praying. 
It doesn't have to be the blue iris. It could be weeds in a vacant lot or a few small stones. Just pay attention. Then patch a few words together and don't try to make them elaborate. This isn't a contest, but the doorway into thanks and a silence in which another voice may speak. And then one other favorite is the first stanza of her poem, Six Recognitions of the Lord. She writes, I know a lot of fancy words. I tear them from my heart and tongue, and then I pray. Oh, feed me this day, Holy Spirit, with the fragrance of the fields and the freshness of the oceans which you have made. And help me to hear and to hold in all dearness those exacting and wonderful words of our Lord Jesus Christ, saying, Follow me. For Mary Oliver, then, the love of creation leads to worship of the Creator. The author is Mary Oliver, a book of poetry called Thirst. For film this week, I review a film from Liberia. The title is Pray the Devil Back to Hell. It's a documentary film from 2008. I've reviewed films from 73 countries for this website, but I can't remember one as powerful and inspirational as this documentary about how Muslim and Christian women joined together in a peace movement to end 14 years of civil war in Liberia. From 1989 to 2003, Liberians endured starvation, systematic rape, torture, mutilation, and Charles Taylor's cocaine-crazed child soldiers. A third of the country was displaced. Up to 10% perished. Then the women rose up and organized. They stood by the thousands in the fish market every day in their trademark white t-shirts, in scorching sun and in torrential rains. They announced what they called sex strikes to all the men until the violence ceased. They prayed and fasted. They picketed the American embassy. They demanded peace, telling Taylor in a public ceremony, We are tired of war, tired of running. Tired of begging for wheat. Tired of children being raped. They forced Taylor and the rebel factions to the peace table in Ghana. When talks stalled after six weeks, they staged a sit-in and prohibited the delegates from leaving the hall until they signed an agreement. After the peace accords in 2003, they then led the nation in disarmament, in voter registration and campaigning which led to the election of Ellen Johnson Sirleaf as president of Liberia and the first African head of state in January 2006. One warning, though, this documentary film contains graphic film footage and descriptions of the war in Liberia. I got this film on Netflix streaming. Pray the Devil Back to Hell And finally this week, 
we've posted a poem by Mary Oliver from her book Dreamwork. The title is called The Journey. One day you finally knew what you had to do and began, though the voices around you kept shouting their bad advice, though the whole house began to tremble and you felt the old tug at your ankles. Mend my life, each voice cried. But you didn't stop. You knew what you had to do, though the wind pried with its stiff fingers at the very foundations, though their melancholy was terrible. It was already late enough, and a wild night, in the road full of fallen branches and stones. But little by little, as you left their voices behind, the stars began to burn through the sheets of clouds, and there was a new voice, which you slowly recognized as your own, that kept you company as you strode deeper and deeper into the world, determined to do the only thing you could do, determined to save the only life you could save. Mary Oliver, The Journey. Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net for Sunday, October 23rd, 2011. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin.